The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Starting with stocks, trying to hold on to weekly gains after back-to-back losses. This amid new concern that the Fed's rate hike cycle is far from over. But take a look at Snapshares. We'll, t- we'll show you the chart very soon. Sinking and dragging the entire social media sector down with it. After a brutal quarter, the stock set to lose one quarter of its value. In the UK, the search is on for a replacement for outgoing Prime Minister Liz Truss. As a familiar face says he is ready to lead once again. We've got a live report from London on deck. Plus, the White House reportedly looking to further lock out China from key cutting-edge technology. We're live in Beijing as well with reaction. And later, new national security concerns around Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter and his growing Starlink Stellite Network. It is Friday, October 21st, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick things off with a look at futures. We are down right now after... Two days of consecutive losses. The Dow Jones Industrial is down 144 points. Nasdaq lower by 108. Despite some early weakness this morning, we should point out the Dow, S&P and Nasdaq all coming into the day with more than 2% gains for the week. The big question is, can we hold on to these gains? Let's take a look at the bond market. Treasury yields continue their march higher, climbing into territory not seen in more than a decade. The 10-year yield now trading near its highest level since 2008. Yields are higher right now at 4.27 percent. The two-year also, uh, actually, it's a little bit lower, but holding on to 4.6 percent. In energy, uh, energy was one of the few sectors that ended higher in yesterday's trade. Right now, we're lower when looking at WTI crude down 1%, Brent crude at $91 down 1% as well. Take a look at cryptocurrencies have been, uh, have certainly been moving right now. Let's take a look at Bitcoin and we're down just fractionally though, but back below 19,000. It's been very hard for Bitcoin to hold on to that level. Ether, you can see down as well, holding on to 1,278 at this hour. All right, let's go around the world. A mostly lower session in Asia overnight that saw shares in Hong Kong drop to their lowest level since the end of the global financial crisis. Other headlines from the region. The Bank of Japan unveiling a second day of bond purchases as yields on its sovereign debt came under pressure following the Japanese yen's drop to its lowest level in more than 30 years. Inflation there also hitting its highest level in eight years. And in Europe, the trading day just getting started. And you can see it's a sea of red across the board. German DAX down about 1.5 percent. This morning's top story, shares of Snapchat, parent company Snap, sinking ahead of the open. The company reporting sales growth slowed and losses soared in its third quarter as it works through a massive restructuring effort aimed at targeting challenges around advertising and a broader industry slump. For the quarter, Snap says revenue rose just 6% year on year to just over $1.1 billion, slightly below estimates. 
That marks the slowest pace of growth for SNAP since it went public. That was back in 2017. As for losses, SNAP says they are up 400% to $360 million compared with just $72 million a year earlier, which was roughly in line with estimates. That number includes a $155 million charge related to restructuring, which includes staff layoffs and slashing investments in areas like augmented reality glasses. Snap shares, to put this all into perspective, are now down 75% this year, as you can see, set to lose a quarter of its value at the open. So big stock there. Weakness from Snap uh, bleeding to the rest of the broader technology, social media space. Take a look at shares of Pinterest down 7%, Meta uh, down nearly 4%, Alphabet, uh, Twitter, take a look at Twitter, down over 9%. So this will be a sector to watch here on Friday. All right, let's get to another top story this morning, a possible regulator trouble for Elon Musk. Speaking of Twitter, Savannah Hanoi with that story. How, Savannah? Hey, Seema, good morning. Well, the Biden administration is reportedly considering subjecting Elon Musk's various ventures and deals, including his planned purchase of Twitter, to national security reviews. Bloomberg reporting some U.S. officials have become concerned in recent weeks by Musk's Russia-friendly tweets and his threat to cut off Starlink service from Ukraine. Of the Twitter deal, concerns growing in D.C. because of some of the company's top foreign investors, including a Saudi crown prince, a China-based crypto exchange, and Qatar's sovereign, sovereign wealth fund. Now, according to the report, discussions are still in the early stages, and officials are still trying to figure out what tools are available to them. One option from the report could be the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS. Now, separately, reports this morning, Musk's lawyers and bankers are preparing paperwork for the Twitter deal to be completed ahead of the October 20th deadline, and relations between Musk and Twitter have turned cordial rather than adversarial, Seema. All right, Silvana, thank you. We'll you be watching it. that stock, again, down over yep. 9%. Back to the broader market and growing expectations for continued hawkish moves by the Federal Reserve to get inflation under control. According to futures markets that track the Fed funds rate, investors now expect the central bank to raise interest rates to 5% next year. That's up from expectations of hiking to just over 4.5% before the release of the CPI data we got out last week. But some think that terminal rate could be even higher. Like former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, who tweets the current hike cycle is already a milestone. Joining me now is Mark Hefili, Chief Investment Officer at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, good morning. Morning. It's historic to see the rapid rise we've seen in rates, but the question is just how high we can go from here. Well, look, the the 5% priced in is uh, important to understand for equity investors because when you think about this rates move, what it means is that a lot of what's happened to the indices this year is really just about rates going higher. And so we have to be focused now on companies that start reporting lower earnings going forward because that could be another leg down, particularly in tech where we think the overvaluation remains. For stock invest- for equity investors who are trying to understand what the bond market is telling them. What is the message that we're hearing right now, especially in the shorter part of the curve with the, the two-year at 4.6%? I mean, it's, that's a huge move. Yeah, the bond market is telling us that the Fed is serious about uh, using its powers uh, to hike rates to try and trim inflation, and that while the 
you know, the inflation expectations over the longer term remain relatively contained, uh, there's no immediate end in sight. And that's that's helping to drive these rates higher. So how should investors play this? What specific sectors do you think still have the opportunity to move higher, to outperform in an environment where rates seem to be only going higher, at least for the near term? Right. So there's a couple elements to this. When, when I talk to investors around the world, I think there is a lot of negative sentiment uh, around a lot of the geopolitical events. And that could set us up for something of a bounce here. So one of the things that we've been doing is looking at option strategies to kind of hedge a little bit of the downside, but be prepared if we do get a bounce on what is a pretty good earnings season so far. But then when you look out from there, the risk reward, uh, the risk reward around earning earnings not coming through, say, in, in following quarters and this pressure from the higher rates means that you really have to be selective. And for us, that means continuing to focus on value, uh, where we've seen that value stocks can really outperform growth stocks when you have this kind of high inflation. So that's where I would start. Uh, Biggest pieces of economic data on your radar, Mark, going into next week? I guess it's the job support. Yeah, the jobs is, is so important. I mean, ultimately, the Fed is saying, Inflation first, jobs second. And, and of course, as long as that, those jobs numbers remain strong, it's probably just going to push out any kind of Fed pivot further. And, uh, and that makes it a little risky for equity investors. Did you see comments from uh, the Philadelphia president of the Fed, uh, Patrick Harker, who said he, the, the unemployment rate he sees a maximum it could reach would be 4.5 percent. Does that line up with your estimates as well, Mark? You know, the, I think the, the most important thing to think about here is the Fed, uh, like other institutions, like we saw in the financial crisis, their, their number one priority is to protect their institution. And for the Fed, that means taming inflation. And so really the talk about uh, their, the second part of their mandate, which is uh, managing employment, that is really secondary at this point. So, you know, we can guess about inflation, but we know what they're going to. Uh, we can guess about employment, but we know what they're going to do about inflation. Yeah, that jobs report comes out November fourth, so two weeks from today. Uh, what's your S and P five hundred target, Mark? With all of this that that you've just shared with us, inflation being persistently high, the idea that rates have to continue to move higher. Where do you see stocks, the stock market, ending by the by uh, December thirty first? You know, I think when you look at longer term, say next summer, markets around here make sense. I think what we're looking for is if we get opportunities to start buying around 3300, that begins to get really interesting for us. All right. Currently trading at 3665 for the S&P 500. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Have a great day. All right, when we come back, much more on Snap as its shares get set to lose more than a quarter of their value at the open. But my next guest says all hope is not lost. Plus, we are live in London in the wake of Liz Truss's resignation as UK Prime Minister, a familiar face trying to make a return to 10 Downing Street. And later, Twitter fires back at a report it's going to cut its workforce by 75%. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number 
and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. A quick check on markets. We are down right now on the pre-market action. Dow Jones Industrial implied open, uh, down 151 points. NASDAQ lower by 111. The Nasdaq did close lower yesterday, and just for context, is down about 34% from its 52-week high. Speaking of the Nasdaq, the biggest laggards right now in pre-market action, net ease down 5%. Meta falling on those snap results down 3.8%. Chinese internet giant Baidu down 2.4. And to a developing story out of the UK, Liz Truss's decision to step down as prime minister just after 44 days on the job, Truss says she will remain in place as caretaker, prime minister, until a successor is named. Arabile Goumede joins us now from London. And Arabile, I guess the question is, there are certainly a number of names already being thrown out, thrown around for Truss's successor. Yeah, there certainly are. I mean, as many as six could actually uh, take over uh, from uh, Liz Trust, then that could happen as soon uh, as we find out, though, however, that top three. So this is pretty much the process then. Having started just yesterday with Liz Trust, of course, officially announcing uh, that she will step down as prime minister, she has said that a new prime minister will be in place by next week or within the week, which means that by next Friday, the certainty is that you will be finding a new prime minister leading 10 Downing Street. She basically campaigned for as long as she was pretty much um, in power for as well here at 10 Downing. So some of the candidates that are uh, standing by then to uh, take helm of 10 Downing Street, you've got Rishi Sunak, who was one of the contenders for prime minister, along with Liz Truss, right through to the final stages. He's also the former chancellor. You also have Ben Wallace, who is the uh, defense minister at this point in time, too. You have uh, Penny Mordaunt, who is currently the leader in the House of Commons. Uh, you then also uh, will find that uh, Suella ba- uh, Breverman is also standing possibly in that realm, too. And the key reason for that is she was Home Secretary, of course, and she could throw her hand, uh, her hand in the ring as well then to try and fight it out somewhat. And of course the big name is Boris Johnson who may indeed return uh, somewhat to 10 Downing Street, even cutting short his holiday according to rumours as well in order to come back and get a sense of whether he can get what is 100 votes. So Monday is when the nominations close at 3 p.m. local time and by that stage just around 350 members of parliament you need to have received around 100 votes to even stand in line for nomination. With that being the case, it means that you will only have a top three then. That top three will then be whittled down effectively to a number two, and the winner then being put forward effectively as the prime minister. That is said to happen 
by Friday. It was a process that took six weeks when Liz Truss was put into power here at 10 Downing Street. It's now going to be done in a matter of days. Wow, fascinating just to see how this will play out. Uh, Arabile, Rishi Sunak has emerged as an early favorite. He's, of course, the former chancellor. What do we know about his economic policies? What should investors expect if he is the one to take over? Well, pretty much his policies are exactly not what Liz Truss uh, put forward, right? That is the key element here, is that some of the measures that he had suggested are some of the parts that Liz Truss's government has now put forward. The new chancellor, that is Jeremy Hunt, who was put in place, of course, not so long ago, um, has now put forward a, a sort of taking away or disbanding a whole host of the medium-term budget policies that were put in place by the former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss. Uh, then that happened on September 23rd. So he would look definitely not to be cutting taxes. And also, if he was to cut them, it would not be on an unfunded basis then. So a lot of these policies focus a lot around growth but certainly not in the dramatic fashion that perhaps Liz Truss has done. He's also a former chancellor, as we noted, which means that he's a lot more apt at perhaps soothing the market into understanding why certain policies are put in place or would need to be put in place and how they would need to work. They've also previously, of course, not necessarily followed the Office of Budget Responsibility. That is Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, the former chancellor and now the former prime minister, effectively. Um, and... Rishi would probably look to put the Office of Budget Responsibility front and center when he puts forward any of his economic policies. We'll be watching this story very closely. Rishi, of course, one of the youngest ones, if he were to become the Prime Minister of the UK, 42 years old versus Truss, who is 47. Uh, appreciate your time today, Arabile. Still on deck, a win for President Biden and his student loan forgiveness program, as one conservative Supreme Court justice says it can proceed. For now, we're back after this. Today's big number, 12.4%. That was the month-over-month -month drop in container imports into major U.S. ports last month, according to data analysis group Descartes Datamine. That marks an unusually sharp slowdown in what's typically peak shipping season. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Time now for your big money movers, and let's start with Robert Half. Third quarter profit and revenue missing forecasts. The staffing firm says global labor markets remain tight, and while clients are hiring, they're doing so at a more conservative pace, even as a shortage of talent persists. Stock down 9.8%. Up next is Whirlpool. Third quarter earnings and revenue fell, missing estimates as demand slows in the face of inflation and economic uncertainty. Whirlpool cut production by a third in the quarter, and it sees challenging conditions extending into the first half of next year. Moving on to Tenet Healthcare. 
The hospital operator's third quarter earnings beat forecasts. Revenue came up just shy of estimates. Shares, though, are dropping as the company gave weak guidance for the fourth quarter while announcing a $1 billion stock buyback. Wow, stock down 17 percent. Finally, SVP Financial, the parent company of Silicon Valley Bank, reporting better-than-expected third-quarter earnings. It says it continues to see strength despite market challenges affecting liquidity for private companies, rising rates and recession fears. SVP expects these conditions to persist for the foreseeable future until public markets stabilize. Now, SVP is the biggest laggard on the S&P 500 in pre-market action. It is down uh, over nearly 16%. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Seema. Good morning. President Biden just scored two major court wins in his effort to relieve student debt. Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett rejected an effort to block the president's debt relief program. A Wisconsin taxpayer group argued that the Biden administration's plan could cost more than $1 trillion and that it bypasses Congress. Shortly after, Barrett denied the group's request. A federal judge also dismissed a similar lawsuit brought by officials from six Republican-led states. Applications are now open for borrowers to have as much as $20,000 in debt canceled. On the diamond, one big hit set the tone in Game 2 of the ALCS. He's got two on at the corners here in the third. And Bregman sends one deep to left. It is back and it is gone. Alex Bregman's three-run blast put Houston up early. The Yankees had a chance to take the lead late in the eighth inning, but Kyle Tucker would rob Aaron Judge right at the wall. The Astros take game two, three to two. Mother Nature is putting on a stunning show in the sky. The Orionid meter shower, which began on September 26th, is currently at its peak. And if you were one of the lucky stargazers to step outside overnight, you may have gotten a dazzling display of space dust from Halley's Comet. But if not, you still have a chance to watch until around November 22nd. That's it from Hiroshima. Send it back to you. A reminder to always look up. All right, Philip, thank you. You got See it. you soon. Straight ahead, yet another blow to the 2022 IPO pipeline, as one highly anticipated offering says, thanks, but no thanks. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Futures under pressure as earnings give investors new reasons to sell this morning. Speaking of quarterly results, shares of Snap sinking as sales growth hit its slowest level in years and social stocks are getting punished. The U.S. pushing deeper into its tech decoupling from China. A live report from Beijing ahead. It's Friday, October 21st, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get straight to U.S. stock futures. We are just about a halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. And we're lower across the board, with the Dow Jones Industrial indicating a lower open by 159 points. NASDAQ, which did close lower yesterday, down 114, and the S&P 500 down just about 25 points. Earnings, of course, have been front and center. And what's happening in the bond market? Treasury yields continue their march higher, climbing into territory not seen in more than a decade. The 10-year yield now trading near its highest level since 2008, yielding 4.27%. The two-year at 4.6%. Energy, the only sector down less than 10% from its 52-week high. 
Tesla Oil continuing its downward move here. Brent at $91.61, down just about eight-tenths of one percent. WTI crew down a bit more, nine-tenths of one percent at $83. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories. We turn to Silvana Hanoi for those. Silvana. Hi, Seema. Good morning. Well, Twitter is reportedly firing back at a report from Washington Post of plans for company-wide layoffs once Elon Musk completes his takeover deal. According to Reuters, the company has clarified to staff there are no plans for layoffs since it signed a deal to be bought by Musk. The Washington Post previously reported Musk would reduce Twitter's headcount by 75 percent in the coming months from the current 7,500 employees to just over 2,000. He's expected to close his deal for Twitter next Friday, and shares of Twitter are plunging in the pre-market, as you can see, uh, down uh, nearly 10 percent. Instacart is reportedly hitting pause on its plans for an IPO this year. According to reports, the firm's CEO revealed the decision to employees in a memo citing market conditions, making public offerings very tough. Instacart filed for paperwork for its IPO with the SEC earlier this year and as of a few weeks ago still looked to be on course to debut on the markets this year. And the potential for a major strike by railroad workers in this country growing more likely again. Railroad companies bargaining with workers over new contract details have rejected a proposal from the union representing track maintenance workers over sick time. A potential strike could happen as soon as November 19th if a new deal can't be reached, Seema. Something really important to keep an eye on. We certainly will. Silvana, thank you. You got it. Shares of Snap are sinking on the back of weaker-than-expected third-quarter results. The social media company marginally beating earnings expectations, but missing on revenue. Guidance for the fourth quarter notably absent for the second straight period. The company citing platform policy changes, decreased marketing budgets and increased competition as key headwinds amid its $155 million restructuring plan. The stock leading a collapse for other social media stocks, Meta, Twitter, Pinterest, Alphabet, all down sharply in pre-market Pinterest down 7%. Joining me now to talk more about this is John Blank, Chief Equity Strategist at Zach's Investment Research. John, uh, do you think the 25% move where we're seeing a snap in pre-market, is that justified? Options market told you that the implied volatility was around 17%. So this was exactly what the market was expecting. This is a very gamed out stock. And this shorting uh, thing is probably putting a capitulation low on this stock. Uh, This is a three-year low, SEMA. And what's fascinating about an $8 a share price for Snap is this is now in line enterprise value to sales, price to sales, and price to book with the S&P 500. So Snap, which is a growth company, even though you know they're not growing now, obviously, they've got some real headwinds with this advertising revenue pricing problem. But they've got engagement up on their shows. They've got daily active users up 20% year on year. So when this advertising slump gets out of the way, which is basically asking the inflation rate to come down is kind of the same story. You're getting a great entry point. The other thing I point out to you, Seema, is that the reason they issued the 500 million in share buybacks this quarter is not because the shares are so cheap. It's because they, they issued restricted stock units out to so many employees. So that's an insider trading, uh, you know, you know, writ large for people to look at. Hmm. Is that if they are they're putting in their, their their investors in now, you want to get into. So, what's your rating on the stock, and at what levels would you say is it time to buy? 
absolutely would change to a buy right now at the $8 price. You're, you're not going to see this price. You haven't seen this price in three years, Seema. Three years. So you got a three-year low at Snap. The IPO price is 17 We're at 8 right now. You can double your money to the IPO price. I could get to $30 a share probably in 18 months, not 12, because I think you're going to have a lot of headwinds with inflation you know, taking its course and the Fed not getting out of the way. We all know those stories. But Snap is a classic stock where you're going to get a great play and a great lift on the back end of that story, and the market is always forward-looking. So that's the problem here if you don't get in now is – you're going to have to put up with some volatility. This is a very gamed-out stock. Yeah. But the upside's huge. Triple your money. John, what about the weakness we're seeing across the social media space, whether it's Meta, Pinterest, Twitter, which is also moving on other reasons? But uh, would you be a buyer on, of any of these names that are clearly moving based on what we heard from Snap last night? Actually, you know, I might take a look at Pinterest. I think that's an interesting company. I don't like uh, Meta, I would not touch Meta. I think Meta is way behind the curve in a lot of these things. Their, their user engagement is much lower. They're much more dated in time. I mean, the nice thing about Snap is they're really embedded in the Los Angeles ecosystem right now. And they have that 13 to 33 uh, demographic. They have three quarters of those that group. So very hard with that combination of L.A., and that demographic, not to like this company from an advertiser perspective. So I think you got to be much more discriminating about these social media names. Today, it's a short play. They're all in the same ETFs. They all get sold off together. But long term, you know, you got to be a, a picker here. And I would be a picker on Snap, probably La Pinterest and stay away from Meta. Lastly, your quick take on your, qu uh, your quick takeaway of earnings season thus far. We were about to enter a, a busy week next week. Yeah, Zach's got a 1% year on year outlook for earnings in the fourth quarter. And I'll just put that out there. That's exactly identical to what SNAP's uh, management said for their forecast. They're going to be flat year on year in the fourth quarter. What I would point out to people is the fourth quarter of 2022 is year on year comps to the fourth quarter of 2021, which in many ways is the last of the COVID era period. So I would you know, not be too concerned about that outlook of 1% earnings growth. We're seeing beats and, you know, uh, raises on outlooks that are you know lower than normal but not to be so concerned with outside of a five-year norm okay so literally speaking pretty good all right speaking of earnings american express out at 7 a.m today we got verizon at 7 30 john thank you john blank yeah. and now to exploring even more new export controls that would limit china's access to some of the most powerful emerging computing technologies our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing. Eunice. Thanks, Timo. Well, as you said, the Biden administration is reportedly mulling an expansion of export controls, this time on quantum computing and artificial intelligence software. Of course, this would be for China and comes after the Biden administration already imposed restrictions on the advanced chips for China for the export of those chips, the sale of chip production equipment, and then also the uh, support of uh, having U.S. persons or so-called U.S. persons supporting the development of the industry here. Now, all of these restrictions go into effect as of today. Now, talk of the new tech export controls hit the share prices of Chinese chip uh, gear makers, although some investors picked up uh, chip stocks uh, on the anticipation 
that the Chinese government would be funneling more money in the form of tax breaks or subsidies into the sector. Uh, tech self-reliance has been a big theme at the ongoing Party Congress, Seema, and uh, President Xi Jinping has said that it, this is going to be very important for the future of the country um, in the next five years and possibly beyond. Yeah, the timing of this is so key, Eunice. It's all playing out as China's Party Congress continues. What would you say the mood is right now as those meetings progress about China's ability to, to compete amid these new trade rules? Well, the mood is one of pessimism. Uh, I was speaking to one a tech executive who said that he feared that these uh, export controls out of the U.S. would be the death knell of the industry. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about how short term they don't really see a solution, though longer term, uh, maybe China could play catch up. And that is a big maybe. Um, in fact, there was uh, the designer of China's first uh, CPU, who is a delegate at the Congress and um, the, the founder of a company called Lungsan. And he was saying that uh, China really needed to double down on their homegrown IT. Otherwise, he said that they wouldn't have control of their future. And then the uh, CEO of a, a facial recognition company called Megvi um, also uh, was trying to get uh, Chinese tech workers to, he said, um, really work for the nation in order to grasp key uh, core technology. So there's a lot of determination, you could see, um, in the industry. Um, but uh, there's a still a, a big, big, big question mark and concern about what it actually means for China. And just adding to the laundry list of worries when it comes to investing in that broader region. Eunice, always appreciate your time. Eunice Yoon in Beijing. Taking the temperature of transports, that is coming up. What this week's earnings from within the sector may signal about the strength of the broader economy. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. GM officially pulling back the curtain on its all-electric pickup truck. The automaker now taking reservations for its GMC Sierra EV Denali, the fully loaded version, which boasts a range of 400 miles going for $107,000. Taylor Swift's new album creating some bad blood with Spotify users. According to Bloomberg, thousands face problems accessing their streaming accounts around the time Swift's new album released on the platform. The website Down Detector reporting as many as 7,800 outages around 1 a.m. in New York. Spotify did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. Pre-market action accelerating our losses with the Dow Jones Industrial down 180 points in pre-market trade. Nasdaq lower by 118. This follows two consecutive days of losses, but we're still higher for the week. We'll see if we can hold on to those gains. S&P laggards at this hour, led by SVP Financial following worse than expected earnings. Stock is down 15.6 percent. Robert Half down 10 percent, also moving on earnings. Let's pivot to transports. CSX reporting third quarter results that beat estimates helped by higher prices and fuel surcharges. But unlike rival Union Pacific, CSX is sticking with its sales forecast for the year, expecting double-digit growth. And shares are rallying up 3% pre-market. The earnings come as the big operator tries to lock down a deal with unions to avoid a strike and as Wall Street worries about freight demand and a possible recession, not just with rail operators, but trucking companies and shippers as well. Let's unpack all of this and what it tells us about the broader economy with Ken Hoekster from B of A Securities. Ken, good morning. 
Good morning, Seema. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. Two very different stories from CSX and Union Pacific. Which company do you think is more reflective of what's happening across the transports industry right now? Well, I think Union Pacific set the tone that, that many of the truckers did, which is that they're very concerned about how volumes are trending. Uh, they, they lowered their volume outlook. Uh, they're cer- certainly seeing it in different parts of the economy, whether it's the industrial side. Uh, there's certainly benefits from things like grain and, and coal, uh, but they are concerned about the economy. They lowered their volume outlook. Uh, but CSX, you know, that's, they've, they're really focused on operations and, and improving performance. Uh, I think they had uh, uh, taken proper reserves when you look at the, the pending union contract you talked about. Uh, so they were in, in better financial shape as, as it hit the, uh, with the quarterly results. But, uh, but this really kind of leads into what's going on in the economy. And, and we do a, a biweekly truck shipper survey to take a, a feel on how things are going uh, from, from a, a shipper point of view, the, the end users. And, and that survey has continued to come down. We, 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 uh, we've highlighted for the last 13 issues, it's been below a, a key mark for us, below 60 on a, on a diffusion index. And what that means is, is shippers' outlook continues to deteriorate. They are very concerned about uh, future demand, and that continues to come into recession levels, freight recession levels, that we saw in 2012, 2015, and mm. 2019. And so shippers are very concerned about the outlook. So I think Union Pacific's view tells you what's going on with the economy. CSX was, was a company that was able to use its, its uh, management team to, to say, hey, we've got to cut costs and be careful about this environment. Of course, we've seen a dramatic uh, move in shipping rates. They've come down a lot in recent months. Uh, does that tell us that inflation has peaked? What, what other data points are you looking at? Yeah, absolutely. When you take a look at, at, uh, you know, congestion last year, that really drove pricing to an all-time high, whether it was in trucking, uh, uh, ocean shipping. uh, You saw at the ports, they had over 100 vessels stuck at the port of L.A. in in a backlog. Uh, We're down to four right now. So clearly congestion is improving, service is improving. But what that also means is demand has come down. That's really what's driven it. It's not that supply has disappeared. Demand really has fallen. That's cleared up that congestion. That's allowed pricing. We've seen spot pricing in the trucking market fall over 34% year to date. Uh, so clearly things are getting cheaper, but you've got to contrast that with labor costs are up, maintenance costs are up. So there's a lot of still inflation pressure that you're fighting. Union Pacific noted that inflation was over 5% this year. At the beginning of the year, they were talking about 2%. So clearly uh, inflation is, is, is hurting on those cost sides. And the message, Ken, from the big retailers is that people are shopping earlier. They're being given deals uh, earlier in the year versus having to wait till Thanksgiving or Christmas. What does that mean for the big shippers? Yeah, uh, it it means last year we were telling everybody, given congestion, you want to go out and buy early because you wanted to make sure you could get whatever product you wanted. This year, as you mentioned, wait, just keep waiting. You're going to get better and better deals as time goes on. Uh, What that means for the shippers uh, is you're continuing to see those rates come down. As I mentioned, spot rates down uh, th- over 30% in trucking and shipping. You're seeing it down over 70% on ocean shipping to get goods from China to the U.S. West Coast. Uh, so we're seeing that, that deflationary pressure on rates, uh, but inflationary pressure on costs. Uh, that's not a good thing. And that's why you saw some of the results you've seen uh, where mm-hmm. earnings are, are being under pressure. Uh, lastly, top pick in the space, Ken? So we, we have uh, edged toward the railroads, given the consistency ability to price above inflation. Uh, we downgraded virtually uh, every stock in, in the sector back in, in April. Uh, so we continue to favor uh, some of the railroads. I think you'll see the Canadians reporting next week. 
Uh, we've got one of them as a top pick for the quarter, uh, Canadian National. Given the return of the grain crop, you'll see some of the Im improving performance. But that's something we've been in print on in, in, in the near term, uh, given the benefit you've got. You know, investors are looking, where can I find growth? And if you've got the grain crop returning up in Canada, that should uh, aid performance. Yeah, agriculture has been strong. It's also helping John Deere, a name I cover. Uh, Ken, this was a great discussion. Thank you for joining us. Ken Hoekstra. Thanks, Seema. Have a good morning. On deck, investors facing a push and pull between earnings, recession fears, and a hawkish Fed. But who will win the day? We discuss when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back. Another busy day for investors, starting with earnings from American Express and Verizon, both out before the open. Also watching for Fed speak from New York Fed President John Williams at 9.10 Eastern, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans at 9.40, and San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly at 11.30. And the Communist National Party in China. Congress continues the, this week along the gathering, expected to conclude, though, tomorrow. Let's get a final check on markets ahead of the trading day. Futures are trading lower, suggesting a lower open. The Dow Jones Industrial, all right, we've clipped some of our losses, down 154 points. NASDAQ lower by 105. S&P 500 off by 24 points. That's the pre-market action. Joining me now is John Stolfus, Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, good to have you on. I see that you are now less bullish on the stock market. You re revised down your S&P 500 target. Tell us why. Well, uh, Stephen, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I've got to say, you know, we're just running out of time to the end of the year. And a 4,800 target was simply too rich from here moving through the elections into December 31st. So we reduced it down to 4,000 from 4,800 with expectations that if looking from last Friday's close in a volatile week, uh, through the end of the year, we think there's likelihood that somewhere around 10 to 12 percent upside is very much achievable. Persistently high inflation, uh, earnings. What is the main reason you're bringing your forecast down? What makes you a little bit more cautious? I, I think what, what it really is, is while we remain bullish on equities, uh, we think that uh, where we are right now, there's a lot of unresolved issues related to inflation. The thought is here that the Federal Reserve uh, is very much uh, uh, it, it committed uh, to placing inflation in check. Uh, and we think, you know, we're going to have two more hikes this year and we'll likely see hikes into the first quarter of next year. Uh, we don't believe that the Fed will pause uh, before it finds that it feels that it's getting inflation in check. But we do think that the market, as traditionally or often happens in Fed fund hike cycles, not an easy phrase to say, uh, but in Fed fund hike cycles, what tends to happen is the market sort of gets the feel that the Fed is probably pretty much done with raising rates uh, before the Fed actually either pauses or begins to cut rates. Uh, we remember that particularly uh, 94 into 95. That's what happened. And we think this might very well reflect that. We also saw that in 09. Yeah, it's a good point. Let's turn to earnings. We're seeing a big move in Snap right now in pre-market action, John, following a weaker than expected uh, earnings report, concerns about monetization. Do you think what we're seeing in shares of Snap down 25 percent, is that reflective of what we could see from other major social media companies as they set, get set to report? You know, I think when it comes to social media, I think social media is just in a rough spot right now, whether it has to do with regulation 
uh, that likely lies ahead, whether it, it, it is re- related to competition, uh, the effects of churn in, in, uh, in social media, the impact on advertising of a slow economy. There's a lot of things going on there. Uh, so we would have to say it's not an area we look at. When it comes to tech, we look for those companies that are deeply embedded in the lives of both business and the consumer on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we find many of those have dividends uh, that can help you weather uh, volatile times in the market. You get paid while you wait uh, for hopefully capital appreciation ahead. Let's bring in Carl Riccadona, chief U.S. economist at BNP Paribas, joining us in this discussion. And Carl, we're just discussing specific earnings movers, but curious what your take is so far this earnings season, what it's telling us about the broader economy. Well, I think what we can see happening here is there's a pretty substantial slowdown uh, taking place in the economy at the moment. We see this anywhere from the GDP data down to the microeconomics of uh, company earnings. Uh, The issue is that uh, we know that deceleration is continuing and probably heading to year-end growth rates that are close to about 0%, so a full stall in the economy. Uh, So to some extent, uh, what we're seeing in earnings season and in a whole host of macroeconomic indicators simply hasn't caught up, or, or rather I should say caught down uh, with the economic reality. So, uh, you know, there, there's been some strength in the higher quality names so far in earnings season, but uh, they tend that it's the higher quality names that tend to be first. So uh, we're a bit concerned that uh, earnings will deteriorate as, uh, as the r- reporting wears on. And especially uh, if you don't like what you're seeing now, uh, you really won't like what you're seeing next quarter. A lot of focus on the bond market, Carl, the two year above 4.6%. What does that tell you? Uh, what that tells us is that market participants are coming around to the view uh, that the Federal Reserve has more work to be done. Uh, and there's two elements to this. So first of all, uh, because of the, the ugliness we've seen in a whole slew of economic data, including the last CPI report, but a lot more uh, as well on the inflation front, wage price spiral dynamics, uh, surging rent pressures, a slower improvement in the, in the supply chain healing dynamics, food inflation still running very, very hot. Uh, because of all of this, any hopes that the uh, the Fed would be able to terminate or curtail the tightening campaign sooner, uh, I think, have been uh, pushed up, have, have been diminished. Uh, and so it's our view now that the Fed will probably have to push on to about five and a quarter uh, on the funds rate. So that gets you you know, somewhere in the direction of what you're seeing on two-year yields. Uh, but the, the second dynamic of that is, given the persistence and the stickiness uh, that we're seeing in the inflation numbers, that means that even if the economy does tip into recession, which I think uh, now is our baseline scenario uh, starting around the second quarter of next year, uh, the Fed won't be able to ride out mm-hmm. as the, the white knight uh, quickly to the rescue, as it has done in the past. Uh, rather, uh, the Fed is going to be slow to start the cutting cycle, uh, and also the, the easing cycle will be much more uh, gradual than what has historically been the case. John, if a recession is inevitable, the best sector to own right now? Well, we, we'd say we, we'd look for those sectors that have actually sold off this, this year in anticipation of a recession, uh, looking for improvement as next year develops. Uh, so what we would have to say uh, is, is look at technology, consumer discretionary, financials, and industrials. Worth noting that in terms of earnings thus far, uh, the result, well, only 20, less than 20 percent of companies have thus far reported in Q3 S&P 500 reporting seasons. Industrials and consumer discretionary and energy among are among the best improved when it comes to earnings. 
Okay. These are the type of discussions I love. Stocks and the economy. Carl, John, thank you for joining me this morning. Have a great day. We're looking at the Dow currently down about 128 points in pre-market trade. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.